Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. So I have been searching for a clean electrolyte company that I love for a really long time, and I just hadn't found anything that I liked, that I enjoyed the taste of, that I felt good about the ingredients, until I found Element. And I actually got a sample from somebody, and I was instantly hooked. They have really good flavors. They're actually tasty. Like, I enjoy drinking them, whereas other brands that I've tried in the past I really haven't enjoyed. And you can just put them straight into your water, um, and they're so good. So they have salt, magnesium, and potassium potassium in them. And a lot of people don't realize how important electrolytes are for true hydration. A lot of us are chugging water because we're being told that we need more water, but we don't, we're not drinking the electrolytes that we need to actually hydrate our bodies. And so Element is a great choice. They also make seasonal chocolate flavors that are really good as like a hot chocolate. And you can put them in your coffee if you want, or just with hot water and like milk or just plain. I like to drink them plain. I love Element. I have at least one pack a day. Electrolytes are so important, especially for pregnancy and breastfeeding. So if you're lacking your electrolytes, give Element a try. You can use my link, Drink Element. It's drinklmnt.com slash Taylor K. And you will get a free gift with your purchase, which is a sample pack. So you can try all of the flavors. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash Taylor K. Hey everyone, welcome. Super excited for this episode today. I know that I always say that, but it is a really, really good episode. A lot of you may know our guest today. Her name is Tiffany Bellinger and she is the face, the person behind the Instagram account and blog CoSleepy. Tiffany Bellinger attended UCLA and adventured in the television and film industry prior to parenthood. In 2020, she founded CoSleepy.com, a co-sleeping one-stop shop to help modern parents keep their babies safe and close at night. She and her husband are currently bed sharing with their two little boys in Sacramento, California. Follow Tiffany on Instagram to connect and commiserate with the largest group of co-sleeping parents on the web. So today we are talking about setting boundaries and specifically setting boundaries with people who may not agree with our co-sleeping or sleep choices. So this is a really good conversation. These are questions I get asked about a lot. How do I make my mom be okay with my bed sharing? Um, what to do if your partner does not agree with bed sharing? Things like that. So I think you guys will really enjoy this conversation. Hi, Tiffany. Thank you so much for joining me today. Would you mind, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with you, can you just share a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, my name is Tiffany. I founded CoSleepy. Um, CoSleepy.com was a blog that I started in 2020 when I had a two-year-old and I was pregnant with um, my next baby. 
Um, I have just had a hard time, especially in the beginning, finding solid, um, not unbiased information about safe co-sleeping and especially safe bed sharing, because I'm sure, you know, when you Google those words um, at 3 a.m. and you're desperate for some information, um, some of the sources, that, a lot of the sources that come up are really scary and um, you can go down rabbit holes or, you know, it'll take you to like um, message boards or Reddit threads. And you're just like, who are these people? Do I trust what they're saying? Um, it was just really hard for me to find information. And um, with my first baby, he would not sleep in his bassinet. He would only sleep on my chest. So I felt like I needed to find out very quickly um, how to keep him safe in my bed because it didn't seem like there was an alternative for us. So I started my blog and I started an Instagram page back then. And it's um, been growing, which is just so encouraging because I feel like it's like if I had seen a big community out there back then at 3 a.m. when I was looking and it would have helped me so much because I really felt like I was the only one going through this. Um, mm -hmm. Like I was failing somehow or there was something wrong with my baby. And so it's just really exciting to see how our community has grown because it's just evidence that like this is a thing. A lot of parents co-sleep, um, if not for the whole night, at least portions of the night, like maybe the early morning, like you know, 3.30 or 4, when it's really hard to keep them asleep, a lot of parents bring their babies into their beds. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just try to help parents make informed decisions. And I pass along the um, findings from studies. And like, there's some experts in the field who I know you've done so much great work through your podcast, too. And you talk about them all the time on Instagram, but like James McKenna and Helen Ball, and these people who have devoted their careers to studying safe bed sharing. Um, I pass along their information. And like I said, I just try to create a safe space for people, for other parents who are just realizing that this is going to be their life for the foreseeable future and they need sort of like a support group for it. Yeah. I love that. I think your information is so helpful and you're right. I feel the same if I had come across a community like yours, um, early on in my parent, my parenting journey, like in the first six months, everything would have changed for me because I, I, I mean, I've talked about this a lot before, but I really resisted bed sharing for a while for six months, basically, um, because I was so terrified. And I, I thought that it was like the worst thing you could do as a parent, right? I had all of these fear, this fear mongering propaganda kind of, um, th that I was being exposed to. But what I really love about your information is, you know, I get asked, like, even there is some safe bed sharing online that you can find, like from P Professor James McKenna um, and like the Safe Sleep 7 and things like that. Yeah. But there are a lot of details and logistical, like specific logistical things that are not often included in those safe sleep recommendations. It's like, how do we even do this? Like, what if X, Y, or Z happens? What if I'm cold? What if my baby, like all of these little questions that aren't so little because they all add up and it's like, what am I even doing? And when you don't, you might not know anybody who's bed sharing, um, who's experienced it before you have all of these questions. And I try to answer some of those questions sometimes. And at the same time, sometimes it's hard to answer those questions, especially publicly because bed sharing parents do certain things. But it's a little scary to say, hey, I do this thing, even though it's not technically in alignment with like hardcore safe sleep or even safe bed sharing guidelines, mm -hmm. but it's just like logistics and like 
reasonability. Like we all have to do things a certain way. Right. Exactly. But you, I think you provide a lot of that information in a really, a really good way to help parents. Thank you. I I get in trouble sometimes. People don't like how strict I am or something, but here's my philosophy. I think that on a public platform, like let's say Instagram, not in a one-on-one consultation when I know the whole, all the details about what the parents are doing and the baby's health and the whole situation, right? If it's just on Instagram, I'm going to give the most conservative advice that I can find. Like if Helen Ball and James McKenna kind of don't quite dis- or agree on something, I'll go with whichever one is the most conservative. And I know that ruffles some feathers, but um, I know that at 3 a.m., those parents are going to do what they want to do. And that's their right um, to have the information and to make their own informed choice. But I want to give them sort of the most um, extreme example of like this. This is as close to safe as you can get. But yeah. um we know there's no 100% safe, safe sleeping situation, whether it's bed sharing or crib or whatever, you know what I mean? This is life and things happen. So it's never going to be perfect, but we're all just striving to, to make it as safe as possible. Yeah. So, but Mm -hmm. yes, that's partly why I started my blog back in the day is because um, when my baby started to get mobile, I looked through James McKenna's book and there was nothing that said like, um, around four or five months, you need to make a change. Maybe you want to install a bed rail, but, uh, there's some risk to that. Here's what they are. There wasn't a chapter on that. And I love his book. Don't get me wrong. So thankful for it. But like you said, there wasn't really practical stuff for the modern parent that like us who's bed sharing today. So, um, so when we might not be able to always be with our babies at like, like 24 seven while they're in bed, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's hard because he says that you should never leave a baby and infant alone, like unsupervised on an adult bed. But then people ask, how do I have dinner? How do I spend time with my partner? You know, there's those kind of practical or logistical um, questions that come up. Right. Um, How do I take care of my toddlers? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or and there's lots of single parents too, solo mm-hmm. parents who they they're bed sharing because that's the easiest that they found that works for them. And it increases their bond and it's beautiful and they love it. But yeah, how are they going to keep their mobile baby safe if it's up on a bed frame once they start to crawl? Um, some people, I mean, the easy answer would be just put your mattress directly on the floor, but some people don't have the space to do that. Or they've told me they need the underbed space area for um, boxes or storage and stuff like that. And they just can't put it on the ground. So, yeah. so it's hard. It's yeah. really tricky. It is tricky. I I have the same dilemma and I tend to also give the conservative answer like on Instagram, especially, but like I had a webinar the other day. So in small, in small, um, small settings or one-on-one consults, when I used to do those, I would kind of do the same as you. And I would say, like, I find myself saying a lot to groups of people, you know, this is the safe, the safest way to do it. But here is what some bed sharing families do if they need to, or if they don't have that option. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying here is practically what some families end up doing. I love that. Yeah. I got to use that next time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I love that. I love your information. Okay. So we're actually going to have a conversation today about setting boundaries with loved ones, with doctors, with whoever, friends, Um, you know, and this is really... I think we're going to be mostly relating it to our sleep 
situations, our bed sharing, our, you know, no sleep training, whatever. But of course, setting boundaries, this applies to all kinds of things that we, all kinds of decisions we might make in parenthood that people don't agree with. So I'm just curious, Tiffany, um, if you are willing to share, like what has been your experience with um, setting boundaries with your family? Like, did your family approve of your bed sharing or can you just share whatever you're comfortable sharing with us? Yes. So I, my first baby was the first grandchild in the family. Um, And so I was not prepared for just how many expectations and hopes and dreams would be placed on him when he was born. And I'm sure I will understand some of that as I get older and when I become a grandparent. So, um, but I was just surprised. I, I did not set any boundaries. So that's my fault because as we know, they say that basically the boundaries that you set teach people how to treat you. So when my baby was born and I had zero boundaries, all sorts of people in my life, especially the ones closest to me, um, were giving me all sorts of advice, asking really personal questions. Um, and you know, right when you give birth, especially with your first child, um, you might be physically, you know, healing and trying to recover. Or in my case, I was trying to figure out breastfeeding and was having a really hard time with that. Um, it, you know, we're exhausted. We've just been through like a monumental change. Like I know for my husband and me, it just, we felt like our minds were blown. We were just like, what is this? I know you understand. So, um, while that's happening, we're fielding all sorts of questions from people that we weren't expecting. So it's tricky because I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. And I, I understand what they were doing and I take responsibility because I didn't set those boundaries beforehand. So since then, that was in 2018 is when I became a mom. I have been really trying to work on this and grow and learn how to set healthy boundaries so that I can live the life, life the way that I want. And I don't have to worry about um, feeling guilty or ashamed for my decisions, my well thought out and well-researched decisions like the one to bed share. So yeah, that's sort of the, the quick version. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I think you, I think that's kind of how it goes. Like you don't know how to set boundaries or the importance of setting boundaries until you go through it and don't set the boundaries and maybe have issues in your relationships or feel insecure. And then you kind of realize, okay, you know, maybe I should start setting some boundaries or maybe mm-hmm. I should do this in the future. I feel like that's just how it is. Cause I think a lot of us have grown up without experiencing healthy boundaries in, especially in our family dynamics. And I think some of that is cultural, like depends on the culture too. So obviously you have to, um, we have to be aware of that, but yeah. So I think it's just something that our generation is kind of learning and kind of standing up for ourselves and saying, Hey, here's a, here's a boundary and it's okay for me to set this boundary. And I think a lot of people think of boundaries as disrespectful. Mm -hmm. I know I have people in my life that view any boundary, even it can be communicated in the most respectful kind way, Mm. but it's viewed as an attack. Yes. That has been my experience too. Yeah. And that is so, that is so tricky because we are putting in the work, thinking about these things. And we're really trying hard to teach our children these, like, I want my two boys to see me implementing these healthy boundaries. Right. I don't want them to be, I don't, it's just, the cycle is going to continue unless I, I feel like, unless I proactively do something to stop it. Mm-hmm. So I talk about this a lot with people because like me, many of the people I get to know through um, Instagram have really hard, challenging situations with either their parents or their in-laws um, because 
when we were a lot of us being born in the 80s or maybe the 90s we were um we were expected to be in a crib and usually on our stomachs put down face down um you know things were very different back then and i think sleep training from what i can tell wasn't they didn't have the terminology for it it was just sort of a thing just right that just you put yeah. the baby there and their baby they're going to cry i mean at least that's the attitude when i've talked to people older people in my life it was um sort of just like that it, i don't know um I don't know if that's been your case, your um, experience too, but it was just a different view of babies. Right. I think, and and then they don't always understand our view of babies, which is they're younger, but they're equals. And we need to still show them respect, even though they're four days old. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I remember my parents saying that they, the difference between their generation and ours is they would have their babies and just sort of like, squish them into their life wherever they fit keep living their lives the way they wanted to and their children would figure out how to be a part of it whereas they think that our generation i'm a millennial um that we will change everything about our lives just to make our babies happy and feel um validated and stuff and they they like sort of um some of them sort of like tease us for that they think it's spoiling them or coddling them and yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i've been called a helicopter parent many times and I really don't think that's what I am. Um, but I do want to have, I do want to create boundaries. Um, when my two little boys go over to extended family members' homes, you know, we talk to them beforehand. We say, you don't have to hug anybody if you don't want to, or if they ask you to do something, you can push back. Like, please try to be kind. I mean, they're only two and four. You've got to think about it this age appropriately, but um, all these things, like from what I can tell, weren't a thing back in the eighties or nineties. Right. Right. Have you, is yeah. that so it, it, yeah, I think that there has been a growing movement of parents who, and I think it's because we didn't have this or people didn't for the most part, have this awareness back then that we are having this kind of response to being parented in a certain way. And we're re- realizing, hey, we don't want to do things exactly the same as our parents did. We can love our parents and know that our parents did the best that they could with the information that they had, but we see some of the problems of, of those parenting strategies. And so we're consciously trying to do things yes. differently. And so I think that has kind of been maybe one of the major causes of this shift in um perspective or perception of our babies and our children and how we, how we should be treating them. And so I think it is growing. Yeah. Yeah. You said that so eloquently, like that's exactly what I was getting at, even though it took me five minutes to get there, but (laughs) happens to me all the time. No, you're great. You're a podcaster, obviously you're a (laughs) pro at this. Um, but no, like what you said really rang true to me about how they, sometimes they feel attacked. It's like, just because we're doing something different doesn't mean that you did anything wrong we're, we're living our lives the way we want to. We're actually really focused on our children in our lane over here. Like we're not really thinking about you over there and those decisions you made in the eighties. It's not about you, but I think that it's human nature for us to feel defensive and hurt when someone we love makes a very different decision than we did. Yeah. So I think also that naturally a lot of us really want approval and validation, especially from our parents or our mothers, especially if we're women. Um, And I think that's just a natural thing. I know that I have experienced that and I'm I'm kind of working through that now and realizing I don't need the approval for every single thing that I decide to do. And I'm wondering what advice you would have for, because I think that's part of the difficulty with setting boundaries is that 
there's, there's multiple like issues here, but one of them is, I think a lot of parents, especially mothers think that they have to have these conversations about all of their decisions with their parents or with their mother specifically and explain their rationale and get them to be on board with it. And I think part of setting boundaries, the first part is maybe taking a step back and realizing I actually don't need their approval. Like it's okay to have those conversations if it's going to be a respectful conversation, but a lot of times it it isn't a respectful conversation. Um, And so what advice would you have for parents that are maybe struggling with that piece? I would say that just because you might not feel like an adult or a, a parent yourself because you're so new to this, you need to give yourself more credit because like, I know when I became a mom back in 2018, we were living in my parents' house because we had just moved up to Sacramento from Northern or Southern California. We were in this transitional period. And so when I was getting all sorts of different advice, I felt, I was feeling like a child because I was living in my childhood bedroom, even though I had my newborn Mm -hmm. with me. So I think a lot of us, uh, are we called like boomerangs. I forget what we're called, but like a lot of us move back in with our parents after college because things have been so tough lately with the pandemic and various recessions. And like, this isn't like the, the boomers generation where once they went to college and got married, like that was it. They were grownups. We, a lot of us like have sort of regressed. I put that in quotes because it's not really regressing. This is just the path that we're taking. Um, but it feels like that mm-hmm. sometimes. So, so I would say that if you if you don't feel like you're an adult and you feel like you still need permission to do things and you need to ask, uh, get approval from your parents or something, just please just, it's been so hard for me. It's been a four and a half year process, but work on that because especially for someone like you, who's choosing to co-sleep or bed share, you're going to keep running into this. When you go to the pediatrician, I'm sure you're going to run into this. Even the guy at the post office or the DMV, sometimes people ask, you know, those questions, how's baby sleeping? You know, if it comes out that you're co-sleeping, you might get a bad reaction from someone just because people don't understand it. Um, And it is none of their business. So just think of, this is how I like to think of boundaries. Um, I used to think that a boundary was like a giant wall. And so I didn't want to put that up between me and let's say my parents or my in-laws or something. I would, I wanted to strengthen our relationship, even though it looked so, it was like so hard to do that. I was just like putting up a boundary there is going to make it worse. But now I think of boundaries as like a picket fence or something. It's clearly just there to mark out everybody's little spot. Like this is my land. This is my spot. You have yours over there. Um, It's like their air can go through it. It's small. You could even pick it up and move it if you wanted to. It's not like a big giant wall. Boundaries are mm-hmm. much more flexible than that. And um, they're not scary. They're very healthy. Like think about real life, like boundaries are good to market like where things are and um, where they should be and where you should not be and stuff like that. So think of boundaries as very healthy. Um, try to empower yourself. Try to acknowledge that you are a parent now you are the parent now. And if you have a wonderful relationship with your own parents or your in-laws or something, that's great, but you don't need their permission to make decisions. So um, that's where I'd first start, but I know it's much harder than how I'm making it seem right now. And like I said, it's been a long process for me. Yeah. I really like the way that you framed those boundaries. And I agree. I I used to also think of them as a wall. Um, And now I kind of think of them as a way to 
preserve a relationship or optimize a relationship. Because if we don't have boundaries and we're all kind of going into each other's lanes and giving maybe criticism or something where, where it's unwanted or it's not helpful, it can cause strife within the relationship. Whereas if you have those boundaries and you're kind of sticking to your lanes and, and not talking about things that you know are going to be divisive or cause drama, then it is helping optimize that relationship and making it healthier. And so it really is, if you're, if you're setting boundaries respectfully and everybody's open to those boundaries, it really can be beneficial for relationships. Yes. But I think where the really tough part of this comes in is that we have to remember that we get to set boundaries and we get to choose how we set boundaries, being as kind and compassionate as as we can, but we don't get to control how people respond to our boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's what's tough is because you will likely have somebody in your life who no matter how you set those boundaries or how you try to explain to them why this boundary is important and helpful, they will still choose to take that boundary as an attack. They will get offended. Um, And I think we have to learn to let that go. We're only responsible for our own actions and our own words, and we're not responsible for other people's actions and words and how they're feeling about something we did that wasn't, that wasn't disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. And you know, that applies to life in general. Like we can never control other people's reactions to what we do and say and how we live our life. I love that. Um, I, there's a few other things that I recommend, like phrases, like, uh, it's not open for discussion. Now, I wish back in 2018 that I had that little sentence in my mind and I could say that the first couple of times it came up. Um, There's like, I'll let you know when I want advice. I haven't changed my mind about this since the last time we spoke. Just one sentence. So I would encourage you to come up with something. You could make it more kind if you want. Those are kind of short. Like a little softer. Um, You can, if that's you, or if you're comfortable just putting it out there, just like, this is not open for discussion. I think it depends on who you're talking to too. And like, what kind of relationship you have. And like, is this the 20th time that they're bringing up something you've already asked them to stop? I think there's room there for a little bit more firmness and shortness there. But yeah, like the first time it's happening, I like phrases like, um, I, I appreciate that you want the best for us but we're really okay with what we're doing right now. And I'd rather not discuss it, you know, like something a little softer, but then sometimes there is a time where you have to be more direct Mm -hmm. and and not that that isn't direct, but a little more firm. No, that was beautiful. That was very soft. It was like, I would say it that, that way. And then when they'd come back with something else or even worse, if they would just sort of stare at me and it'd be quiet, I'd be like, "Ah, I need to fill the silence. They hate me. I'm doing the worst thing ever. And, And then I would like, say, uh, never mind, or okay, maybe we could try it that way. Or like, it's really hard to be comfortable in that silence when you set the boundary and then you're sort of just waiting to see how they react. It's just, it's really hard, but to stand firm, but it's so important. Um, what other, do you have any other ones on the top of your head or is that like your Um, go-to line? That is kind of my go-to. I try to soften it first with a, like, I see your intentions. I know that you want, excuse me. I know that you want the best for us kind of thing. I see that you have a good heart here. Um, something like that. And then, and we're doing what's best for our family. I've put a lot of thought into this. If I do need, like you said earlier, if I do need advice or recommendations, I'll be sure to come to you and let you know. Um, and I think this is where like, I have to figure out and it depends. I've actually set more boundaries, not around sleeping stuff because my family, interestingly, hasn't had a ton to say about our sleep 
our sleep, um, circumstances, but I've had to set a lot of boundaries about like parenting stuff in general and treatment of our children. And, um, so yeah, so I, I, I try to soften it first say, you know, we, it's like a formula soften, get like, let them feel connected. It's almost like connection. It's almost like when we're parenting children and we first connect, right? Like I see that you want the best for us. Um, and then say, this is what we're doing. We're good with it. Um, and then, and then that's it. And sometimes though, like there are some people in my life that I'm okay with having conversations. Even if we disagree, I know that we can have a respectful conversation, but then there are other people where I've learned, I actually can't talk about this specific topic with them at all. And so if it comes to that point, after a couple of times of setting a boundary kindly, and then keep bringing it up, I I say, please stop bringing this up. I really want to preserve our relationship. And at this point, I think talking about this is, is not helping our relationship. And I'd rather just not have this conversation with you. I love that. I can tell you're a pro, like you've been doing this for a long time. You're, and you've been putting in that work. So thank you. I was about to write notes and I'm like, no, but I'll remember that formula for how to do it. And I, I think a lot of my advice is, um, more firm. There's not so much softness because just because I remember being in that state in the early few weeks postpartum where I just had nothing left. I had zero emotional bandwidth. So when the questions kept coming, I just, this is me now looking back and saying like, I wish I had just said this because I, it was just like, it's easier for you and me now to talk to someone who asks us, Oh, really? What about bed sharing? Cause look where we are, you know, like we might be tired from parenting our kids now, but we're not as exhausted as we were back then. And, um, so we're just like in a better place sort of to talk about it. So, uh, but I love what you said. It's just for me personally, it was a matter of saying the thing, whether it's kind and compassionate and soft or whatnot, but, and then being comfortable with the silence that comes afterwards. Yeah. Um, not backtracking sort of based mm-hmm. on their reaction. That was really hard for me. That and I'm, I'm really curious, even though this is your podcast, how you deal with pediatricians because authority figures, that, that's a whole separate thing for me. Yeah. So anyone who, um, I, I, I kind of would deal with them in the same way I deal with anybody. And this was another thing I wanted to talk about was sometimes you don't need to set like a firm boundary because maybe you're talking to a stranger who you'll never see again, or somebody that you're just not that close to, but there are also ways to just, if you know that you just don't want to have this conversation with this person because you don't know them well enough, or, you know, maybe their reaction will be not so great then there are like little word, little phrases that you can kind of just say to almost blow them off, but like in a nice way, like not really blowing them off. So one comment that I used to get a lot when my first was a baby was, um, you know, even just the question, how are they sleeping? You know, you don't have to be rude to somebody who's asking that, but, or are they sleeping through the night? Are they sleeping in their crib? And I like to just say something like, oh, they're sleeping just like a baby should, or we're doing great or something like that. That's Mm -hmm. like, indirectly answering their question, but not offering any information and just kind of ending it. Or I remember one time um, I was talking to kind of an acquaintance at church and she was, she's an older lady and kind of has these, you know, the same ideas about sleep that we were talking about earlier with our, the older generation. And um, I think somehow it got brought up because at this point I was comfortable with sharing that I was bed sharing. And at, at some point that got brought up somehow. And she like, was very surprised and made, I can't remember the exact comment, but she made a comment that kind of, um, 
surprise me because it was a little, a little rude. I don't think she meant it rude, but it came across as a little rude. Um, something like, oh, and you're okay with that or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and I just said, oh yeah, we love it. This is, this is what works for our family. And that was that. And I changed the subject. So, um, you know, with a doctor or somebody, I would, I don't have this experience a lot. I don't talk about sleep. I just either don't talk about sleep with doctors, um, or say, I'd rather not talk about sleep or, um, I would say we safely bed share and we are good with that. And I am not looking for advice right now, like proactively before they offer me the handout or the, you know, the words Mm -hmm. of wisdom or whatever. But I think that's such a, an individual thing because I, you know, in my first year of parenthood, I probably wouldn't have been comfortable doing that at that point. Now I'm much more educated, much more knowledgeable, and I have confidence. And I think that's the key is knowing the why to what you're doing, making sure that you're arming yourself with information and being confident in what you're doing. And that's why I think, you know, groups and communities like yours are so helpful because it helps parents be uh, confident in what they're Mm -hmm. doing. But what are your thoughts on that? Like, Cause I am, I'm an advocate for being honest with pediatricians because I've talked about this before, but I do think that so many parents and not think, I know that so many parents are not being honest with pediatricians about how their babies are sleeping. And I understand why totally, um, not judging parents who aren't honest at all. But I do think part of the problem is that pediatricians are so disconnected from reality and how babies are truly sleeping because parents aren't being honest with them. And then it becomes this like vicious cycle, basically, where pediatricians just continue to think that babies are all sleeping independently in their cribs. And so I do think that if parents who are confident and comfortable doing this could be more honest, I think that would be really helpful for pediatricians to know. Mm -hmm. Um, But what are your thoughts about like, is it okay for parents to not be honest with their pediatricians or their parents or whoever. Like if someone asks you, is it okay to lie? Like, what do you think about that? Yes. We've talked about this a lot, um, on Instagram and first your advice totally lines up with Dr. James McKinnis. He says to boldly tell the truth. And he also says that doctors have no authority over you. So you're basically getting their opinion as a person and you know, they're doctors, of course, they do know more than we do about certain things, but like I think that what doctors are doing is they see parents coming in exhausted and they're they're trying to help the parents. And like you said, they might be out of touch for whatever reason. They think the easy answer is sleep training or the easy answer to, is to say, yeah, but at six months, you don't have to do night feeds anymore or whatever. They can see how tired you are. And so I want to believe that most of it comes from like a good place. They're trying to help too. But um, I, I don't know if I'm the best person to to answer this, because even though I'm in this position with this work with bed sharing, I have really done everything. I have lied. I have been very vague. Um, I've told the truth before and received a huge lecture. And then, so the next time after that, I lied again, like I go back and forth and I'm human. Yeah. Well, and I I think that's normal too. Again, depending on who you're talking with, maybe you're seeing a doctor who seems really warm and open, and maybe you're seeing a doctor who you can tell, like you can tell a lot of the times how people are going to respond the way you do, they do. So I feel like that's a really normal response to like reading the room and reading the person and then making a decision then. Exactly. I don't think that it can be like a cut and dry. This is what I say every time, no matter who I'm talking to. Exactly. That's something I say too, is just give yourself grace. If that day 
you know, like I've had people say they printed out a packet of like the safe, safe sleep seven and all this stuff and research. And they were going to give it to their doctor. And then they come back and say, like, when I was there in the room, this was happening, this is happening. And I just didn't have it in me. So I actually just lied and we moved on. And yeah. I, I would not judge them for that. Mm -mm. So it is so hard. And I don't know why in America and probably some other Western countries too, doctors ask that for at least the first year they ask, where's your baby sleeping? But from what I've understood through talking to physicians and doctors who, who are in my community, they've said they don't really study sleep in med school. Yeah. Is that to your knowledge? Is that true? Oh I mean, yeah. I believe that's true. Yeah. I've, I've talked to doctors and I mean, they say they get, they get almost no education on infant sleep. Um, I'm an OT, I'm an occupational therapist and my part of my domain is sleep. And I don't recall learning about biological infant sleep. So there's just not a lot of information, especially from a holistic perspective. Um, doctors also don't get very much training in breastfeeding and breastfeeding and sleep, oh, yeah. especially with bed sharing is so linked and interconnected. So it makes sense why they wouldn't be supportive of bed sharing. Um, because they don't, they don't see the importance of it and how it facilitates mm -hmm. breastfeeding. Yep. We've seen that too. People saying like, um, uh, you know, we're bed sharing because it helps us with, you know, strengthen our breastfeeding relationship. Um, and the doctors have come back and said like, oh, by this age, switch to formula, formula and solids basically by this age. Yeah. So it's totally, yeah, same thing. They just don't value it in the same way that we do. And it's yeah. so hard. Like I've, we've switched doctors like three or four times, partially because of moves and stuff, but it's really hard and stressful. Like I remember one time getting a huge lecture from one about bed sharing. Uh, we wanted to switch, but it was, if you have like at that point, I had a newborn and a two-year-old. I was just like, where in the time of day, like, how am I going to find the time and energy to look up new doctors, see if, you know, our insurance covers them. And then how do I know if they're going to be the exact same way, if they're going to be more supportive of bed sharing? Like you don't yeah. know when you look at their bio on the internet. So, right. So and yeah. Hard. And, you know, I think a really big problem is that pediatricians have been made to be experts in parenting. Like that is what we've kind of been um, I don't want to say brainwashed. There's a better word that I'm looking for, but we've been kind of conditioned to go to our pediatricians for everything. And I talk about this a lot, so we don't have to get into this in detail because I probably talk about it on almost every episode. Um, but it is true. I mean, you'll be at the playground with a, another parent and be talking about something just totally lifestyle related. Like it could be eating or it could be, um, you know, involving your children in sports and the response is, Oh, I need to check with my doctor or my, you know, my the yes. pediatrician. I'm like, no, you don't like you're the parent. They're not in charge of how you parent or what lifestyle decisions you make. They're experts in acute illness and injury. They're not experts in sleep feeding parenting. They're not. And the problem is, is that a lot of people don't realize that yeah. because pediatricians have kind of made themselves the experts of all of these things. And it's not fair to, I don't think like in general, all pediatricians have done this. It's just where they're at. Like their position is at, is that, that, um, place somehow. And it's not fair to pediatricians either because mm -hmm. they have way too much to be like dealing with, and they yeah. don't have the time to actually become experts in all of those areas that they're expected to be experts in. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it somehow has become their domain when they're not experts in it. And there's this mismatch between expectations of this expertise and them really understanding sleep and feeding and all of this. And then that isn't 
what their expertise is actually in. They're lacking that knowledge, yet many of them will, most of them will still give the advice without informing Mm -hmm. parents that they're not actually experts. So that's kind of the problem. And so what I always want parents to realize is everything that I just said, and that they're usually not experts in sleep or even breastfeeding. Um, and that they don't have to have conversations with their pediatrician about sleep. Like if you really don't want to get into it, I mean, you could just lie and kind of dismiss it and say, everything's fine. They're sleeping independently, whatever. Or you could just say, you know what? I'm good with sleep. Like I don't, I, I came here to talk about my child's health, but we're doing well with sleep. And I'd rather not focus on that topic. I love that. But I know that takes a lot of confidence to be able to say something like that. It does. It does. Especially, yeah, in the very beginning too, like for those people like me who didn't, or you who didn't plan on bed sharing and were resistant to it, like it's almost like a relief. I feel like when you go in to see your doctor and then they say like, okay, I don't know if relief is the right word, but to me, it was like my doctor by telling me I shouldn't be bed sharing was like telling me what I already was sort of thinking. Mm-hmm. like confirming my worst fears essentially. So that was not good. Um, so I feel like when, mo- when moms or parents are brand new and they go to a place of authority, like whether it's a parent who happens to be an authority figure to them or a doctor, and they, they kind of confirm their fears that bed sharing isn't safe or that it's not, it's just not what we do. Like that's just, yeah. or it's going to ruin your relationship um, yeah. or something like that. Like that doesn't help. So that's why after, after a while, you know, at least here in America, we go like in the beginning, we go every month, is it, or six weeks or something. That's when they want you to come in for the wellness checks for your brand new baby. Um, by the second or third one, I had been starting to be very vague because at that point I was like, no, I'm getting more comfortable with bed sharing. And I'm seeing that it's sort of a necessary thing for us. There's, I'm not going to do cry it out. So what else is there at this point? Um, and so I didn't want the doctor's opinion to like, let more doubt come into my brain. There was already doubt in there that I was fighting with every day. And so now, like you said, like I'm at a much different point, but it's taken years. And so I just really feel for those new parents who are just trying to kind of adjust their own mind and, and be like, wow, I, I have this crib that I researched and paid a thousand dollars for or whatever. And it's a closed uh, laundry basket now because my baby will only sleep on me or right next to me in bed. Like that takes a while to sort of like make that mental shift. So if you can, if you can surround yourself with people who are either supportive of that or who just don't even ask you, that's ideal. But easier said than done. For sure. Yeah. I also think, um, I agree with everything that you just said and it's just such a, it's such a cultural thing because even before we go to the pediatrician, even before our baby's born, we have this idea of how our babies should be sleeping from the movies that we've, we've watched, the TV shows that we've watched, the, you know, just culture, what our friends are saying, what our families are saying. And when that, those expectations, we don't get, we don't hit those expectations. We feel like we're failing and we're doing mm-hmm. something wrong. And of course it's also, it can be harder. It can be more challenging. We want our babies to sleep independently in the other room. Like th- we would get more sleep that way. And that would be lovely, but it's just not the way our babies are designed. But so I think that parents are also often looking for quick fixes. Mm-hmm. And so, because they've been told there are quick fixes. And so when they go to their pediatrician and their pediatrician confirms, yeah, this isn't normal. And yeah, here's how you can fix it with this sleep training handout here. Then I feel like it does a couple of things. Cause for a lot of parents, it's going to go against their intuition and it's going to feel wrong. 
But for some parents, especially if they haven't really dived into normal infant sleep and what that looks like, um, they're almost going to, like you said, I think they might feel some relief because there's a solution, right? They, or they're being told there's a solution. We know that it's really not a solution. Um, but yeah, so I think yeah. it's, it's complex, especially if you're like brand new to this and you don't really understand sleep and you're exactly. going to your pediatrician who you think you can trust to give you mm-hmm. really accurate information. Yeah. Because it's always going to be harder to go against the grain, obviously. Right. So when you go in to see your doctor and he's like, no, you should stay on this path, the path yeah. that everybody, pretty much everyone else does. That's sort of, that's what I meant by relief. Just like, oh, okay. That's hard. But I understand that. What I don't understand is this path over here where I'm all alone and people are constantly questioning me about it. And it's about a topic I know nothing about yet. It's very important, like keeping my baby alive at night. Like what's more important than that? So I, for whatever reason, obviously I think now, I believe now that there was a greater purpose in all this so that I could do this work. But at the time I was putting in the hours in the middle of the night to read James McKenna's book. And to like do a deep dive on all that stuff. But you, I can't expect the average mom out there to be sitting in her rocker trying or in bed if she's brave enough to do that. But like in the very beginning to, to be putting in the time it takes to like really break down everything that the experts are saying or the, the studies, like I'm sure you're pretty good at reading studies now, but in the beginning, it's sort of like, it took me a while to kind of get it. Um, yeah. And so, so it's just, yeah, it's just really hard. For the average mom out there, especially it's a separate topic, but like, what if she has to go back to work in a few weeks, Yeah, you know, of the quick fix in quotes is sleep training or just let the baby cry and go take a walk around the block. So you don't have to hear yeah. it because and so your pediatrician is telling you that it's just fine and it won't harm them. And so you want to trust that and you, you want to do, you just want to do it. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it is really hard. And and the problem is, you know, one of the problems is that with this approach with responsive sleep or bed sharing, you don't even have to be bed sharing to be responsive. If your baby or your child will sleep away from you, some babies will. Um, but it's not like a guaranteed thing. It's never a guaranteed thing. It's never super easy. There's all of these problems. If you do have to go back to work, well, then what are you going to do? I mean, you, you might not be getting in an, as much sleep as you need. There, there's always another problem. And I just think it's just, it really is so difficult. And that's why I love bed sharing personally, because I feel like I have always gotten more sleep bed sharing with my babies. And I know a lot mm-hmm. of parents feel that way too. Um, I, I have a question. One last question for you, because we talked about boundaries with other people, like outside of our immediate family, like outside of our partnership, if we're, if we have a partner, significant other. Um, and I feel like that's, that becomes easy. Like once you understand that you don't need people's validation, you don't need their permission. Um, you don't even have to have long conversations explaining your reasoning for making the decisions that you're making that becomes more easy. But I get asked a lot, what to do about partners that are not on board. And I wonder if you have any advice. I mean, that's just so hard because if you, if the other parent isn't on the same page as you, what do you do? Yes. We've discussed this a lot too. And there's a, there's a gamut. There's some people who say in a really harsh way, no, I'm breastfeeding. I'm waking up every single time. So I'm going to make the decision about where the baby sleeps. Um, there's other people who, you know, their baby is six to eight months. Let's say they're still having an ongoing conversation this whole entire time. It's like kind of a point of contention with their partner. I, of course, I really feel for those people who are going through that. And it is very common, unfortunately. 
Um, yeah, it's because if you think that we as moms have this lack of information before having a child about normal infant sleep and all this stuff, our, our partners usually have even less just because of the culture we live in. You know what I mean? So, so I think it's really easy for a lot of, um, husbands or partners or whoever to, to judge it, like base it off of what they see on TV or what their friends are say. And at least according to my husband, like his guy friends don't talk about their baby sleeping. Um, I think he got like a text from one of his very best friends when he had his baby with the name. And that was sort of it. Like, no, like it's very different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not trying to make an across the board statement about that, but in general, um, we do, we moms do more of the researching on our phones during breastfeeding to find these answers or texting. Like I had my two best friends who I texted constantly in the early few days and weeks, like, is this normal? What do I do? And I'm so thankful that they encouraged me to see a lactation consultant. Um, you know, like, I don't know if husbands or partners have those text group group chats where they talk about this stuff. I don't really think so from my, my experience. So if, so it's hard for moms sometimes when they're like, oh, I read this article or I just ordered this book called Safe Infant Sleep from Amazon. We'll be here tomorrow. You know, we're excited. I'm trying to share info. And sometimes they're just like, just put the baby in the crib. Like if it, if he cries, he'll, he'll probably stop what, like 10, 15 minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's really hard. And like I said, we can't make a blanket statement. Like every single relationship is different, but just for anyone listening, if you're having it, um, tension or conflict with your partner about this, know that you're not alone. That's unfortunately very common. Yeah. But as I've now being a parent for almost five years now, there's lots of other conflicts. It's not just about sleep, right? Like you're, you and your partner are completely different people. Of course, you're going to have different opinions about various parenting issues. So this is just sort of like the first one that a lot of couples hit the first big one, yeah. sleep, you know, and you know that when we're tired, we're not always the most kind and patient and gentle. And so sometimes these conversations get just blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, there's not really an easy answer for that. Um, a lot of couples also, the last thing I was going to say is they sleep separately, especially in the beginning, because the mom wants to make sure there's enough room on the bed for the baby. And maybe she's switching sides so that she can um, nurse from both breasts throughout the night or whatnot. And and oftentimes I've heard that the the partners are happier in a different room or on the couch, just because they're, they're getting uninterrupted sleep pretty yeah. much. So there are many couples who choose to do that. I've also heard people saying like they're doing it, but begrudgingly, they're very worried that that's going to affect their relationship negatively being separated at night. So, yeah, I, we are somewhat, we are a couple who has chosen to sleep separately. We're both, we're we're both bed sharing, um, with a child. So we sleep separately, but my children will sometimes spend the night at my mother-in-law's house. And even when we have the house to ourselves, my husband will be like, so where are you sleeping tonight? And I'm like, I'm sleeping over in this room. You can sleep in this room. And we're good that way. Like we still choose to sleep separately because, Um, I know there's a lot of stigma around couples sleeping separately, but we find that we both get more sleep. I'm a very light sleeper. So I like, if I, if I don't have to have somebody in bed with next to me, touching me and breathing on me, I would rather have that because my goal at night is to get sleep, not to connect with someone, um, not to connect with my significant other. We had the evening to do that. You know, we have the day to do that. And so we do better that way. And I think 
I just say that because I, I think we just need to normalize that. Like it's okay yes. if you, if you, if you enjoy sleeping together more than you enjoy sleeping separate, but it's also okay if you find that you get better rest and have a better relationship when you sleep, sleep mm-hmm. separately, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. but I would also say just about like in general problems with like a partner, not agreeing with the bed sharing or whatever it is that you're doing. I think this really often boils down to a root issue of communication issues. And, um, I think counseling can be really helpful just to figure out how to respectfully communicate and listen to each other. Um, because I think that we are often, when we feel very strongly about something, both of us, we often just talk at each other and we just want to say, this is how I feel, but we're not as willing to listen or our emotions get really heightened. And so we're just having a harder time really respectfully communicating, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned. Um, so when we can learn to communicate respectfully, but then also I like to tell people suggest to, to mothers, especially who want to bed share and you know, their, their husband or their partner doesn't say, ask them, why are you not okay with this? What are your fears? What are your concerns? Because a lot of times we don't really know exactly why they have an issue with it. And when we really know the exact specific reasons that they're having an issue with it, we can address those specifically with specific information if they're open to learning rather than just continuing to kind of say over and over again, like the same things, this is what we need to do for X, Y, Z reasons. Let's actually figure out why they have concerns so that we can meet them where they are and present information to them that will help alleviate those specific concerns. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. That's the case for me and my husband. It's always communication. That's the root cause always. Yeah. We want to be heard so badly. Um, and I think sometimes, and I'm speaking just generally, but also speaking for myself and my personal experience, I want to be heard so badly when I have something I feel really strongly about, but sometimes that means that I am so focused on getting heard myself that I'm not hearing my husband, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not listening to him and his concerns. And so when we can do both, we can express the things we need to say and our perspective and opinion, but we can also listen to the other person mm-hmm. as well and kind of meet in the middle that way. I think that's huge for any issue, yeah. any issue that you're facing in parenthood. Mm-hmm. Me too. Tiffany, thanks so much for joining me. I love this conversation. Um, I could talk about co-sleeping stuff all day, obviously, as I'm sure you could too. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell everybody where they can find you if they want to learn more from you and what resources you have available? Yes. Um, co-sleepy.com is my blog. So I have tons of free blog posts that I try to make really thorough with sort of like the nitty gritty aspects of bed sharing, like how to keep your, what arm position is best so that your arm doesn't fall asleep when you're in the cuddle curl or how to stay warm when you're bed sharing, stuff like that. I also have, um, how to guides, which it's like a PDF that you could buy for more of that stuff. Um, I want to make everything like short and sweet. What can you, what do you need on your phone at 3am when you need that information? Um, I also do limited, like sometimes I do consultations, but I don't have as much time for those these days, but, um, an Instagram, of course, there you can feel like you're not alone. And there's so many people doing the exact same thing. It might look a little bit different in their house as they're playing musical beds, but we're all just trying to make the best informed decisions we can and keep our babies safe and close at night. And, um, yeah, so you can find me at either of those two places. Awesome. And I I will link those, um, those links in the show notes. So thank you again, Tiffany, for being with us and chatting with us today. I think this will be really helpful um, for everybody listening. I hope so too. Thanks, Taylor. 
Hey guys, if you like this podcast, if you appreciate any of the episodes and have found them helpful to you, would you please do me a favor and go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review? Those reviews really help this podcast reach more people, so I would so appreciate that. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.